Well, this is the second week of January, and you can tell because it's so cold, but I wonder, how are you doing with your New Year's resolutions? Are you coming along pretty well? I couldn't help but think, why do we give ourselves a whole year to accomplish our goals? Would that work with our children? Can you imagine if your son came to you and said, Mom, Dad, I've made a New Year's resolution. By the end of 2017, I'll have my room clean. Does that sound good? I don't think so. You'd say, that's not going to fly. It's got to be done sooner than that. We need to have a, a shorter deadline than a whole year. Deadlines are good, even though most of us probably wouldn't like a, a deadline. But I, I started thinking, that word didn't really make a lot of sense to me. What is a deadline? Is it a line that is dead? That doesn't make sense. So I checked it out, and here's, here's where that term came from. Years ago when they had prisons, and they had uh, the walls, they had the guards up there, what they did is they drew a circle around that whole prison. They made a line. And if somebody was escaping from the prison and the guard saw them, if the guard yelled out to them and they hadn't crossed that line, they still had the opportunity to come back. But if they crossed that line, they would open fire and shoot them, and that was called the dead line. Well, they don't do that anymore, but that's where we got the idea. You only have so much time, there's a deadline. You have this time that you need to get, get this job done. I believe that as we look in Romans chapter 13 today, God has given us a deadline when all of our New Year's resolutions should be completed. Not only all of our New Year's resolutions, but every task that God has for us needs to be done. You can take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 14 this morning. But what we look here at that New Year's resolution, what is it that God says, what is the deadline that he has? In Romans 13, 12, it says this, The night is almost gone, and the day is near. What's that referring to? It's referring to the time when the Lord's going to come back again. That's referred to as the rapture. And so we need to make sure, we don't know when that's going to happen. The return of Christ is imminent. It could happen at any time. And so we need to make sure that we are busy doing what God wants us to do. So in light of the soon return of Christ, or the imminent return of Christ, I'd like to suggest a new New Year's resolution, and it is this. I would encourage you to live in the light of the Lord's return. That's what I believe Paul is saying to us as we look at this passage of Scripture. And in order to do that, Paul gave several admonitions to help us to live in the light of the Lord's return. The first one, he says, wake up to your spiritual condition. He says, wake out of your spiritual sleep. Verse 11, do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Now notice the phrases of urgency. It is already the hour. Now, salvation is nearer. The night is almost gone. The day is at hand. What does it take to wake you up? Some of you may wake up real quickly. Some of you, it may take a long time to wake you up. I remember one time in particular when my dad woke me up very quickly. It was in the summertime. We had just finished baling hay all day long, and we'd stack the hay in the barn, but the problem was the hay wasn't quite ready to be baled. It wasn't quite dry enough, but if we would have waited, we know the rain was coming in that night, and it would have ruined the whole thing, all of the hay, and so Dad said, let's go ahead and do it. And we spread salt on the hay as we put the layers down, trying to pull out the moisture, and we were just praying that it wouldn't catch fire. Because if the hay's not quite dry enough, you can get that internal combustion, it can uh, burst into flames and burn not only the hay, but it could burn the barn down. We went to bed th that night just kind of worried about what's going to happen. 
In the middle of the night, Dad woke up and he went to the bathroom. When he went in the bathroom, there was a window that went out to the barn. And we left one of the, the doors open, the windows up at the top of the barn, let air go through. And when Dad looked out the window of the bathroom, he looked toward the barn. It was lit up. And he knew it was on fire. He yelled, wake up, the barn is on fire. I don't know how many times he said it, probably one time, but I just remember sitting up in bed hearing, wake up, the barn is on fire. My brothers and I, we got out of there, got dressed as quickly as we could, ran down the barn, we got the hose, hooked up the hydrant, and I was taking the hose to the, to the barn to go up the steps in the hay mow, and Dad came down the steps and said, who left the light on in the barn? <laughs> oh, we were wide awake for sure at that moment. <laughs> But I wasn't sure what he was saying. The light was left on, and guess what? I was the one that left the light on. You would have thought he would have been relieved. There was just the light that was on, but I endured a lecture for quite a while on the stupidity of leaving a light on the barn when we thought it could, could burn down. But you know what? The urgency with which Dad said, wake up, is the same urgency that Paul is telling us today. And I forgot to tell you, when he yelled, he was in the bathroom. I was upstairs in my bedroom. You had three closed doors between there and up there, and I still heard, wake up, the barn is on fire. That's what Paul is telling us today. He says, I want you to wake up to your spiritual condition. So many of us are, are living uh, with our eyes blinded to the truth of where we are spiritually. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11 says, Now as to the times and epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert or awake and sober." For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober or awake, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing." He's giving us the urgency. We don't know when the Lord is coming back, but we know that it's imminent. We need to wake up. We saw the phrases of urgency, but I want you to see now the command. He says, wake up. Did you notice that God never gives a suggestion? There are always commands. It's not the 10 suggestions. It's the 10 commands. No place in Bible will you find a suggestion. It's always, this is what you need to do. So he says, wake up and do it. It's a command that he says. And Paul is not talking to unbelievers to wake up out of their sin. He's talking to believers who are walking around in their own blindness as they've allowed sin to come in and to cover their eyes and, and not see clearly. And he says to wake up. Ephesians 5.14 says, For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And that's referring to believers. When he says wake from the dead, he says you're acting as if you're a dead person. You're acting as if you're a blind person. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says, Become sober-minded, or in the King James it says, Awake to sin and sin not. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He says we need to be awake to our spiritual condition because of the imminent return of Christ. Now to be awake, sometimes say to your kids, Are you awake? Yes, I'm awake. Why are your eyes still closed? If you're awake, you have to, have to open your eyes. And that's what God is saying. 
Open your eyes. Can you imagine with me just a moment if all of us were stricken with blindness right now? Would we be able to accomplish much? I dare say most of us couldn't even find our car, let alone get home today. If you're blind, you can't accomplish much. And God is saying, wake up. There are things that you need to do. But not only do you need to open your eyes, you need to take a look at yourself. Now, how can you take a look at yourself without a mirror? You've got to look into a mirror, and you've got to see what, 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 uh, what you look like. Well, God says we need to look into a spiritual mirror, which is the Word of God. James 1.23, it says, For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and bides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Very few of you looked at the mirror today and said, oh, well, good enough, who cares? No, you looked at the mirror and you saw what needed to be changed and you made the changes. And that's what Paul is saying when he says here, wake up, open your eyes, look into the mirror of God and see what changes you need to make. We see the urgency and we see the command, but also we need to understand the difference uh, when it talks about time versus hour. He says, knowing the time, the time is short. As we look at the word time there, it's not talking about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. If that was the case, the Greek word would be chronos, which is like chronology. He's saying we're not looking at time that way, but what you need to do is be aware of the season, what the age is. And what we see here is we are in the time of the church age. We're in the time, and Paul was too, at the same time. And as we look at the church age, you have to understand the return of the Lord is imminent. It can come at any season or any age. People get that all mixed up. They're just looking at the here and now, and they're not looking into the future and understanding what it's saying here. The Pharisees had that problem too. And in Matthew 16, 1, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and they were trying to put a test. They're always trying to trick him. They weren't coming to get knowledge and information with the right heart. They're always trying to, to condemn him and to catch him in something. And they said, Lord, give us a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. In the morning, there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky but cannot discern the signs of the times? What we see here is they knew what time it was. They, they looked on their, I mean, they could look at the weather and say what the weather was going to be like today, what it's going to be like tomorrow. We do the same thing. We check. We can actually see by the hour how cold it was be. Kind of discouraging this morning if you did that. It started out at one and then it was going to be zero and then it's a long time before it warms up. But he said, that's not what we're talking about. He says, you can tell the weather on a daily basis, but what you're missing is, what age is this? This is the age, he's telling the Pharisees here, this is the age that the prophets have been prophesying that there was going to be a Messiah that was going to be sent to you, and I am that Messiah. I am God. And what you've been looking for, I am He, and I'm here, and they're missing that. Same thing that he's telling us. Don't be so concerned about if it's 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. What the time is, we're in the church age, the imminent return is coming back, and are we awake to that, and are we awake to what God wants us to do to prepare for that? It says, notice the urgency and the command and the time, but notice the eminence of his return. I've used that word several times already here, but a lot of people are confused with that. They say, well, the eminent return of Christ, the soon return of Christ, it's all the same thing. No, it's not. The word eminent 
what it talks about is uh, hanging over one's head, ready to fall or overtake, close at hand in its incident. Thus, an imminent event is one that is always hanging overhead. It's always close at hand. It could happen at any moment. Because of that, there's a couple things that are true of this word. First of all, you can't count on a certain amount of time transpiring before an imminent event occurs. That's why you've always got to be ready. You can't set a date. Because if you set a date, you'd say you've got to wait this amount of time before it happens and it wouldn't be imminent. And it's not uh, accurate to say it's going to happen soon because we don't know how soon it's going to happen. We just know that it will happen. Now, let me illustrate that by talking about a snowman. Several weeks ago, it was warmer. We had a really nice, heavy snow. And I took my grandsons out there, and we built a snowman. And we, we built him up there, and it looked good, and we would hope it would last a long time. But guess what? It kept getting warmer and warmer and warmer. Now, that's a good thing for us. It's a bad thing for a snowman. And several hours later, I saw the head of that snowman just leaning over like that. And I thought, it is going to drop off any moment. It's imminent that it's going to happen. But you know what? I didn't know how long it would take. I didn't know. Maybe it's just going to be an hour or two. Maybe it'd be four or five hours. Maybe it would be next day. I didn't know. But I knew it was imminent. So what did I do? I called my daughter and I said, if you want a picture of your grandson or your son's uh, snowman, you better come over now because it's imminent that it's going to fall off. She came over quickly and she took a picture. Guess what happened? It stayed on for three days. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> But that thing kept going, you know, angle and angle and angle, and I do not know how it stayed on as long as it did, but it finally did. But that's what we see. A lot of people say, you know what? This was prophesied 2,000 years ago. The Lord hasn't come, so it must not be true because it's been over 2,000 years. But they don't understand the word eminent. It is going to happen. It's kind of like when a woman gets pregnant. She is going to have a baby. It is eminent. It's going to happen. We may not know the exact day or hour, but it will happen. The same thing with the Lord's return. Don't let 2,000 years lull you back to sleep. It is going to happen. So you need to wake up out of your sleep to see your condition, your spiritual condition. You need to wake up to evangelism. Verse 11 says, Do this, knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. When he's talking about the salvation nearer to us, he's talking about when we get to home in heaven. When you look at salvation, there's three parts to it. Now, don't let that bother you because when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are saved and that's complete, but let me help you understand. The moment you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are saved from the penalty of sin and you do not have to worry about going to hell because you're into God's family. However, we are still living right now. We have Christ our personal Savior if you've done that, but there is still the presence of sin right now. But what God is saying is, I will save you from the power of sin. You don't have to sin. You can walk a victorious light. You can walk life. You can walk in the light of God. So, and then what we see is what he's looking at here. The salvation is near to us. It's talking about when we finally get into heaven, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. And there will be no more death, no more sorrow. And that's what he's saying. Our salvation will be complete when we are with him in heaven and we won't even be around the presence of sin. So what he's looking forward to is a time when the Lord is coming back. We're going to be with him. He says our salvation is going to, the completed salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. But since the, the return of Christ is imminent, we need to make certain we've put our faith and trust in Christ and we are truly born again. And if you're here today and you're not certain if you died today that you would go to heaven, 
you need to understand what that means and put your faith and trust in Christ and ask him to take away your penalty of sin and give you that gift of eternal life. You need to do that because the Lord could come back at any time and the tribulation will begin and it's going to be a lot harder to put your faith and trust in Christ at that time. For those of us who are believers, he said your salvation or the Lord's going to come back soon, you need to wake up to the fact that there are people that need the Lord. And we need to be faithful in sharing the gospel with those people. John chapter 4 and verse 35, it talks about the disciples, the woman at the well. And it says this, Do you not say, Jesus is talking to his disciples, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? They were just looking at the wheat harvest out there. and The wheat had just been sowed. It's going to be four months before they can combine that wheat. He says, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Wake up, open your eyes, and look at the humanity out there. Look at the people who are ripe unto spiritual harvest. And the disciples They had just gone into town to get food. But the woman at the well who got saved, she went into town. She saw the unsaved people who needed to put their faith and trust in Christ, and she brought them back. And that's what he's saying. Don't get so focused on the things of the world. Open your eyes. See the people that are lost that we need to share the gospel with. Not only do we need to wake up to evangelism, we need to wake up to spiritual maturity. Because when he says in verse 11, salvation is near, there's going to be that judgment time. There's going to be that time when God is going to hold us accountable for the things that we have done. Have we been growing? Have we been obedient to what God says? Because when he comes back, hopefully, he's going to be able to say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But Paul is saying, wake up. If you're not doing the things that God wants you to do now, you have to understand there is going to be that reckoning time. We're not saved to sleep. We're saved to serve. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying? In light of the imminent return of Christ, we need to be putting off sin and putting on God and believing Him and following Him Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 is one of my favorite passages. It tells what we're supposed to do here when we come to church. It says when we come here that uh, we're to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You're not supposed to just come in here and listen to a message and go home. You're supposed to come in here, meet people, greet people, get to know them, encourage them, find out what their needs are. And as a family and as a body, we need to be ministering to one another. That's how we grow spiritually. We help one another. James 5, 7 through 8 talks about the farmer who is patient and waits for the the, uh, produce and, and for the harvest to take place. He said, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. When our hearts need to grow, they need to be strong and, and strengthened in the word of God. 2 Corinthians um, yeah, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ because we're going to be rewarded according to the things that we have done. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring both to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. The Lord is coming back. Are we growing? Are we mature? Are we doing the things that God wants us to do? Revelation twenty two twelve. Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. The imminent, the return of Christ is imminent. Wake up to our spiritual condition. Are you saved? As you look in the Word of God, are you saved? You know for certain if you die today, you go to heaven. Are you growing in your walk with the Lord? Are you becoming mature? 
Are you being obedient to what God wants? Well, once we see our condition as we look into the Word of God, the second thing that he tells us is we need to clean up from the deeds of darkness. You look in the mirror and you may say, oh, there's some things I need to change. That's what God says. Look into the mirror, wake up, see yourself as God sees you, and then clean up. Verse 12 says this, Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. We are to lay aside our sin. The word lay aside is the idea of removing a piece of clothing quickly. You know, it's dirty, it's messy, you need to get it off and do it quickly and cast it aside. It carries the idea of forsaking it and renouncing it. I don't want it on anymore. I see it's wrong. I need to get rid of it and get it off of me. It has the idea of repentance from the deeds of darkness. The idea here, the context, the illustration here, it's the picture of a soldier. When a soldier goes out to battle, he wears his armor. When he comes back home, it's not that relaxing to wear your armor all day. Takes his armor off, he gets into his regular clothes. But here the picture is, not only did he get into his regular clothes, but he spent the night in all kinds of sin. He spent all night uh, drinking and getting drunk, and he fell asleep when he was drunk. And then when he woke up, as he became sober in the morning and the light came up, he realized, oh no, the day is starting. The enemy is coming. I've got to quick get these clothes off and I've got to get the armor on and I've got to, I've got to get out there and be prepared and fight. And that's what the Lord is saying here. Get off the deeds of darkness and get on the right kind of clothes. Get on the armor of light. We get on our battle gear. What we do, you know, that's a choice. It's a choice what we wear. It's a choice what we put on. And a lot of times people say, well, I just fell into sin, or it was just a mistake. I didn't do it on purpose. Scripture says something different. In Psalm 109 and verse 18, it says, but he clothed himself with cursing as with his garment. We choose to do wrong. We choose to sin. But by the power of the Spirit, we can reverse that decision, and we can put off that sin. He says to lay lay aside our sins quickly, not gradually, quickly. Let me illustrate to you quickly. When I was a pastor in Iowa, I went to visit a family that had visited our church, and so I went there uh, one evening and happened to be on a cold winter night. I got there, and they invited me in, and when I walked into their living room, it was probably the dirtiest, filthiest house I had seen. They had a dining table there, and that's where they'd been eating, and it was filled with dirty dishes and plate and food and stuff like that, and it had been there, I think, a lot of that for a long time. And I thought to myself, okay, that's not going to bother me. What I need to do is to focus on their souls. But I'm sitting there, and and the the kids, like four of the kids, just came up right around me. I'm sitting on a chair, and right up close, almost like they'd never seen anybody in their house before. And I think I kind of knew why. Well, pretty soon one of them says, I have something I want to show you. And got a picture album and brought it and set it right on the table in front of me and set it down, opened it up, and cockroaches just running everywhere. 50, 60 cockroaches just going everywhere. And a lot of them were coming right at me. I'm taking my hands and I'm trying to push them away. Just a reaction. I don't want them falling on my lap. But I couldn't stop them all. And they were falling on on my leg and on my lap. And with one hand, I'm trying to keep them off anymore. And the other one, I'm brushing them off off my leg and trying to keep those cockroaches from coming on. And and, uh, there were a lot of cockroaches. He kept turning the pages and more of them. And I just started killing them. I didn't care anymore. I was just smacking them. What it says here, you need to lay aside your sins quickly, just like those cockroaches. When those cockroaches come to me, man, I was doing everything I could as fast as I could. Not only are we to lay aside our sins quickly, but we're to lay lay aside our sins completely. 
Get rid of all of them. You don't just get rid of some and keep a few. Nope. When I was driving home in the car, it was dark. I felt something crawling up my neck. (laughs) And I reached up there. Nothing. Oh. Later, I felt something else crawling up my neck, and I reached up. Nothing. I felt things crawling up my leg, and I'd reach down and hit it, and I didn't find anything. Have you heard the phrase, your skin is crawling? That's what I felt like. But I didn't know. There could be a cockroach in my coat pocket. There could be a cockroach in my hair. There could be a cockroach somewhere. And I knew my wife would not even want one cockroach in the house. (laughs) When I got home, it was late. Everybody was in bed and dark, and I was glad for that. I went down to the basement. I started taking off my clothes one at a time. I took my coat, and I shook it. Nothing. I took off my shirt, and I shook it. Nothing. I took off my shoes and socks. Nothing. I took off my pants and shook it, and one dropped off, and I stepped on him and got him. And I thought, oh, no. And I checked everything out, and I didn't find any more because I knew Joyce didn't even want one cockroach in the house. That's what God is saying. Lay aside your sins quickly and completely. Don't even entertain one sin. Get rid of all of them. Eradicate them. Ephesians 4.22 says, In reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self. Colossians 3, 8 and 9 says, But now you also put them all aside. Do not lie one to another since you laid aside the old self. 1 Peter 2.1 Therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and all slander. James 1.21 Therefore putting aside all filthiness and all remains of wickedness and humility. He's saying to get rid of all sin. Wake up. See your spiritual condition. If you see sin in your life, get rid of it quickly and get rid of it completely and get rid of it permanently. You remember in John 8, 11, Jesus is talking to the woman that was taken adultery. He said, I do not condemn you either. Go, and from now on, sin no more. That's what God says to all of us. Whatever sin we commit, lay it aside, stop it, and don't ever do it again. Well, when he tells us to take off our old clothes of sins, you may say, well, what am I supposed to wear? And Paul said, well, thanks for asking. Romans 13, 12, it says, the night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put on light. In verse 14, it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's moving from the negative to the positive. Lay this aside and wear this. So we could say, wake up to our spiritual condition, clean up from our deeds of darkness, and then dress up with the armor of light. That's what we're supposed to wear. That's what we're supposed to put on. Now, as we look at the armor of light, probably most of, most of us are more familiar with the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. In fact, you saw the advertisement or the announcement that the men's Bible study is going to study with Tony Evans the armor of God. And that's good. We need to study the armor of God. In Ephesians 6, 11 through 17, as you read down through there, we're to put it on so we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, You know, it's not a physical fight, it's a spiritual battle. And we're to put on the full armor of God. Verse 14, it says to gird your loins with truth. It says to put on the breastplate of righteousness and shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and taking up the shield of faith and putting on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. We understand the armor of God, but I want you to understand the armor of light. That's what he says that we need to put on. We've just come through the Christmas season. One thing that just kind of stood out to me a little bit this Christmas season is the Christmas star. What was the Christmas star? 
If I were to draw a star, I'm not a good artist. I would just do one of those five-pointed stars. But then you think of what's the nearest star? It's the sun. How would I draw the sun? I just draw a circle and color it yellow. So what was the star? I believe the star, as we read in Matthew 2 and verse 2, the wise men saw his star in the east. Verse 9, it says, They went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Now, you have to understand, these wise men saw the star when Jesus was born. But they didn't get there until about two years later. So this star, whatever it was, they saw it, and they kept their eye on it for two years. What is the star? I believe it's referring to the Shekinah glory of God. The word Shekinah is just the English transliteration of a Hebrew word, which means the presence of the Lord. And what was Jesus named when he was born? Emmanuel, God with us. And that is what the Shekinah glory is, the light. It is, it is God himself dwelling with us. I believe the Shekinah glory, as we read in Scripture, it's what was present in the temple in the Ark of the Covenant. In the Holy of Holies is where the presence of God was, and nobody could go in there except the high priest once a year because it was so holy. It was also the Shekinah glory was the light that led the children of Israel through the wilderness. It was the same light at the burning bush when God spoke. It's the same light on Mount Sinai. And so I believe that the star of Bethlehem was a light, and that light was the very presence of God. It was a signal from God that, that God is here, and His presence is here. And so as we look in Romans thirteen twelve, it says, Therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light, let the presence of God fill you. Well, when do we get the presence of God? When do we get that light? The moment you get saved. It says when you ask Christ to be your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you, and we are the temple of God, and He dwells within us. So when we put on the armor of light, we already have the armor of light when you know Christ as your personal Savior. And the Bible says, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Isn't that wonderful? We put off the deeds of darkness, and we put on the armor of light. Now, I want to help you to understand the, the power of light over darkness, the power of God over Satan. You've probably been in uh, caves. The, the one that I was most familiar with was Mark Twain Cave, and you go down in the bottom of that cave, and they get down there, and the guide turns off all the lights, and it is so dark you cannot see your hand in front of your face. I'd heard people say that before, and there'd be times what I would do at home. I'd try to get as dark as I could and see if I, I could always see my hand. But when I was in that cave and they turned out those lights, I could not see my hand. It actually touched my nose, and I never could see it. Then what they did, they lit a match, right? You've seen that. And it just lights up the whole thing because light dispels the darkness. Now, I want to demonstrate how powerful darkness is to light. If I put my hands together, it's pitch dark inside my hands. And the darkness inside my hands would be a, probably about the same amount of light of a match, right? I got this much darkness, that much light. Now, I want you to notice... When I open my hands, I'm going to let this darkness out, and I want you to see how much power it has over the light in this room. Are you ready? It's not a magic trick. Just watch. Here we go. What'd it do? Nothing. What happened? The darkness disappeared. Why? Because light is so much more powerful than the dark. And I want you to understand, that's how powerful God is versus Satan. People say Satan is powerful, and he is, but not compared to God. Now, we have to be careful compared to us. We are nothing compared to Satan. But you've got to understand, we have the light. And it says that we have that light. 
And we don't have to worry about the darkness because we have the light. Well, as we look at the light, we receive the armor of light at salvation. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. John 1, 9 says, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. So we're to put on the armor of light, but we need to let that armor, we need to let that light shine. Matthew 5, 14 says, You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. We need to let our light shine. Why? Verse 16 says, Let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We need to shine and to be bright. We should also allow the armor of light to protect us from darkness and sin. 1 John 1, 6-7 says, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The light of God cleanses and protects us from all sin and we do not have to worry about Satan and darkness. In 2013, I was on a missions trip to Haiti. And when I was there, it was a medical missions trip, and I'm not a doctor, but they always wanted to have someone share the gospel with every patient before they saw a doctor. So that was my role. And so every day, I'd be able to share the gospel between 70, 80, 90 people every day. One day, as I was sharing the gospel with them, one of the local Haitian pastors came up to me and said, you know that lady that, that you just shared the gospel with? I said, yeah. She is a voodoo priestess. And I thought, well, I couldn't tell. They look about the same to me, you know. She didn't receive, receive the gospel. She wasn't rude. She heard it, but that was about it. And then later, our guide, as we were going back uh, where we were staying, he said, hey, would you like to stop by and I could introduce you, he's saying to our group, to the voodoo priest and see the voodoo temple. And I said, yeah, I'd like to do that. And the other people are going, are you crazy? And I said, yeah. A voodoo priest is just someone who is lost and needs the Lord. And I didn't know if I'd have the opportunity to share the gospel, but you don't have an opportunity if you don't go. So we went there and we stopped on the road and the guy said, here, he, he lives down over here in this, this area. So I get out and the rest of the people are staying in the van and they're actually saying to me, don't go, don't go. And so I thought, well, the guide is going with me. And so I went with, me, with him and the rest of them kind of followed behind. And, and I met him, visited with him a little bit and he showed the voodoo temple. But you know what? I didn't have the opportunity to share the gospel with him. But what I'm trying to help you understand, I am more afraid of disobeying God and being disobedient to him than I am talking to a voodoo priest because he's just a man. But you know what? If you disobey God, you get out of the light and you get in darkness. And that's what opens you up to all kinds of, of uh, spiritual warfare. But what we see here is we're to dress up with the armor of light. And then it says that we are to grow up to be like God says in verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that just means that we're to, to become more and more like God every day. We're to look like him. We're to act like him. People see us and they ought to be able to see something different in our life. Colossians 2, 7, it says, having been firmly rooted, now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed. Philippians three thirteen says, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind Reaching forward lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. Our goal is to be mature and perfect and to grow and become like God. As I mentioned earlier in Hebrews 10, 24, the purpose of us coming to church together is encouraging one another to grow in the things of God. 
being an example and talking and encouraging and helping one another. But it goes on and it says, not only are we to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, but it says, make no provision for sin. And that means we're not to, to make opportunity for sin to take place in our lives. We need to protect our mind from sinful plans and not make provision for that. Proverbs 24, 8 tells us that most wickedness is planned. We have the tendency to think, oh, I just fell into sin. I didn't aim to do it. But it says here, one who plans to do evil. God says, don't plan to do evil. He said, how do I do that? If I think of an example, let's say a teenager flunks a test at school, and the parents say, did you plan to flunk that? Oh, no, I didn't plan to flunk the test. Well, did you study hard for it? Oh, no, I didn't study. Well, if you didn't plan to to pass it, you just planned to fail it. And that's what God says. If we don't put on the Lord Jesus Christ, if we don't plan to do what's right, you're going to fail. And that's where it says, make no provision for sin. James 1, 14 to 15 says, But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. We've got the old nature within us where we're enticed to sin, and if we get too close to sin, we're attracted to it. It's like a magnet and metal. You can get that, that ma- magnet so close to metal, but if you get too close, it just comes together like that. God says, don't make any provision for sin. Get as far away from it as you can because you can't play with fire and not get burned is what he's saying. You can't say at the end, oh, I thought I could get closer and it just, it just caught me there at the end. No, you stay far away from it as you can. It says we're to make no provision for sin. We're to protect our mind from sinful plans and protect our mind from sinful thoughts. Psalm 36, 1 and 4 says, Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. He plans wickedness upon his bed. He sets himself 